Hello, my name is Connor Nyberg, and I'm a Logan Whitehurst fan. Hi, my name's Owen Otto. I am a, I was a really good friend of Logan Whitehurst, and I was in a band with him for four-ish years called Little Tin Frog. And today we're going to talk in the microphone about uh, Logan's discography, starting with his very first release, Outsmartin' the Popos, in 1997. Oh yeah. Now, Owen, what was it like in the humble year of 1997? So, let's see. In 1997, um, Logan and I were in the band Little Tin Frog. I think we'd been together for something like two years. That same year, I know that our our first CD came out with that band. That's called The Pain and Pleasure Machine. I don't remember if it was before or after Outsmarting the Popos, but it's the same year. We were, Logan and I were roommates. And so we were living in this apartment in uh, like a townhome in Rohnert Park which is in Northern California in Sonoma County. It's kind of a really boring suburb. And it was like a very, uh, very kind of generic uh, townhome that, and our, we had two other roommates, but uh, a guy named Joe Ferraro, his parents owned the place. And Logan was going to Sonoma State University, which is in the same town. And he was, uh, he was an art major. He kind of focused on uh, printmaking was his focus. So in our house, there'd be kind of a lot of art projects going all the time. Like I remember once he made a, they had to make something small. They had to make a really big version of it. So there was kind of like a giant uh, insect. Maybe it was a fly or something like sculpture, like hanging in the corner. And um, we had this thing where we would sort of write down weird, funny statements of which I can remember basically none now on little pieces of paper and just kind of attach them to the wall. And so like pretty soon, like the walls all over the apartment were filled with these little weird statements and drawings and things like that. So it was kind of like a, a kind of, you know, we're, we're in our 20s. I guess Logan was probably, only, maybe he was 19 or something like that. We had this kind of really creative household in this kind of very bland suburb. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think my big question is, so how did this tape... Um, go from something Logan made in, in this apartment into something that got into the hands of others because I know um, he borrowed um, I don't think he even had a 4-track at this time right? according to from what I found out he borrowed it from Christine and that's where he did um, all the recording or most of the recording for this album so how did it get into the hands of others? So I'm not sure it really did get into the hands of very many people I think Logan just kind of handmade copies and Maybe he gave away a few and he sold some. I don't remember when he started playing shows, but maybe he might have played like a show or two shows around this time. But it really wasn't a very serious endeavor at all. Like we were very much focused on our band and this thing was just kind of a thing he was doing on the side. I'll I'll mention uh, also that um, people, just to set the context, like recording at this time was really hard. Not everybody had a computer, it was kind of like, a big deal if you had a computer you know the internet had been around for a long time of course but it was kind of really exciting at that time uh, and really new and you were kind of learning HTML and trying to make a website you couldn't really record on your computer I mean nobody sure you probably could but none of the people we knew had equipment to do that and um, so like even getting access to a four track with like a cassette in it was pretty hard uh, it was hard to have the money to buy that and so I think even in Little Tin Frog, the first recordings we did, we had to borrow somebody else's four track. And, um, and then maybe Christine finally bought one and Logan borrowed it. And uh, recording on these things is insanely difficult. It's just every one I ever did on my own just came out. It just sounded like complete crap. So, so to, just, <laughs> to just make something, because it, a little bit of it is like, it's, it's so technically difficult to kind of um, punch in that you basically have yeah. to like do a flawless take. <laughs> uh, so you have to kind of be able to nail it every time. And then you only have four tracks and they're all muddy and blurring together. And and it's on a cassette, so the sound quality is crap. And then you, when you bounce it down onto another cassette, it gets even worse. So I think it's just for context when you're listening to this album, it's important to know that to, to make something that even sounds like music is not easy. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, by, by far, this is most definitely his... Um, you can tell he's not taking this seriously at all. It's very experimental, all over the place. 
his least, um, I guess, stable work. Um, let's see, um, here's a quote from an article of Logan. He said he didn't know how to use a four-track, and he didn't know how to play any instruments. He couldn't work out any ideas well, and so he just wanted to play with sounds. He'd sit and try to harmonize with himself or start a drum machine, and that lack of skill translated to great appeal. It sounded like I was either trying really hard to make it sound bad, or I was just having fun. People really responded to it. I still have people who remember my very first tape, which I can't listen to, by the way, but everyone loved it. was just a goofing around. So, um, I think, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of um, releases from the 90s have this kind of um, appeal, especially like bands like Ween and other lo-fi bands. Um, the reason why they appealed to so many people was because they were just having fun and you could hear it in their um, music. Yeah, and I think, um, so of that quote, I mostly agree with it. I'll say the part I agree with first and then the part I disagree with. I agree that he was really focused on, it was, he was just doing it. He wasn't thinking a lot uh, and it was just kind of having fun. And um, he would, he and I would talk about, we, you know, we'd like talk about our ideas about making music and stuff. And one of them that he would talk about is that he wanted the recording to capture kind of what was the feeling that was going on in the room, which I don't think everybody thinks about it that way. Um, yeah. Like the example that he gave me, I think when we were talking about this was, um, you know, the Beatles song Helter Skelter. When at yeah. the end, there's like the part where Ringo says, I've got blisters on my fingers and stuff like that. He likes to capture chatter and sounds and sort of uh, ad hoc things that would happen during the recording because he felt like it made you feel what was happening in that moment. Is that why um, on some of the songs on the first Littleton Frog record, there were the kind of bits of chatter like after Double Helix? Where you guys were laughing and bells in the street, that kind of thing. That's definitely that's definitely Logan's influence, and and I think it's a really dominant theme in all his albums as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, let me say the part I disagree with. I think he's being very self-effacing about his talent. So he clearly could play drums at this point because he's playing in a band. And then the other thing to know about him is, I for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just kind of his uh, the family he grew up in that he they're very musical. But I mean, he could sing four-part harmony. He had a very good, he had a very good natural sense of um, rhythm and melody and a very good ear yeah. right from the beginning. Although I agree, he kind of wasn't maybe super evolved on piano or, but, but he could kind of, uh, like Christine had a concertina. It's like this, you know, like a mini accordion. And when he got a hold of that, just right from the beginning, we would do things like we'd go, oh, play Amazing Grace. And he could sort of like play that melody. He could figure out how to play any melody pretty much. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you there on this album. Even stuff where he said like, um, like we'll get to it later, but like Sunday Paper, which was the first song he wrote with a real piano. Still a pretty good piano song by any means. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, it's, this is definitely, it's, it's a very disjointed release, but... Still, you can hear the, the essence of Logan in it, and I think probably at its purest just because he was experimenting and trying out new things at this point that would later go on to um, dominate his more later works. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, so you want to start listening to this guy? Let's do it. All right, so the first song is called Outsmartin' the Popos. Oh, and a little fun fact about this album. So I did, um, out of curiosity, so the, the cover is an article with the headline stomach disorders threaten his life says new york patrolman and um i actually traced that back to a um new york newspaper from the early 30s but the same article would appear again and again and again and i finally found another article that was just like it and it was advertising a pharmacy so i think this whole <laughs> article was just a ruse in order to get people to buy from this specific pharmacy ah okay <laughs> So, unfortunately, this patrolman, if he ever existed, was never threatened by stomach disorders. So, yes, that was a lie. <laughs> How did he even find that article? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's fairly appropriate for this first track. Yeah, there's not much to this um this one track. It's very instrumental, and um, I think there's a part midway through where 
um, Logan goes on a monologue about how he snuck an arsenic into a uh, policeman's burger <laughs> and outsmarted the popos. Yeah. And um, I think I'm pretty sure this is kind of an inside joke between him and his cousin Aaron. And I think Aaron even is on it. So, like, I don't really get it. I do think he explained it to me once, but I don't remember kind of why they had a joke <laughs> about this. But, um, I mean, I probably wouldn't really ever put this song on. <laughs> like, it's not really a song that I super enjoy, but uh, <laughs> I think it... I, I, I don't think you can even call it a song. I call it like a, like a jam kind of thing. Just a, It's just all over the place kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I think about kind of what it, the sort of trend that it's setting in Logan music, I feel like he made a lot of things that were just kind of for friends and family. He's just really thinking a yeah, lot about exactly. friends and family. Like, there's a lot of the songs are just like named for a family member or about a joke <laughs> with this one person. And this is just kind of the, this is the first song he made is that. Yeah. And I, I think that goes up all the way to like Goodbye My Four Track. Yeah, definitely on Goodbye My Four Track. Um, so about outsmarting the popos. So Logan made a few notes when he uploaded these songs to mp3.com back in the good old days of modems and whatnots. I recorded this one with Robert Manzanetto, there we go, to uh, DAT, which is Digital Audio Tape, which no one uses that anymore, in Los Banos, California. It was the summer of 96, therefore this is technically the first recording I did for this, my first album. It just wasn't on four track. Yeah, I sort of feel like the, uh, the, I don't know this for sure, but I think the album might be in the order he made it, Or (laughs) or kind of roughly that order. Like when I th- yeah, that's that's what I'm getting from these notes. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of firsts here. Yeah, just when I remember the songs being made, because you know we're living together, and he played it for me after he made one. It was kind of in the order that they appear. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned friends and family. His cousin Aaron does appear on this as the final voice, saying he didn't outsmart anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, that was his his contribution. Yeah, I mean, like when Logan would get together with his cousins and brothers and stuff, they would just like it was almost like a uh, like a comedy routine going on. They'd just be like, joking around with each other and making up stuff like this. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, this is definitely um, a very very interesting start to Logan's first album. Up next, however, is um I think it's probably the most iconic song on the album. This is what happens. Dot dot dot. <laughs> This is what happens when you give Logan a four-track He writes such stupid songs all the time at one o'clock in the morning To me, what stands out about this one is um, that just right from the beginning, he could do these four-part harmonies and things. I mean, yeah. even on a, even like, it's pretty obvious with the lyrics that he's really not trying very hard, but he's, <laughs> he's doing something musically that it's not, it's not like it's super inventive in terms of the melody or anything, but just technically yeah. to record harmonies like that and nail it. Yeah. Off the spot. It's pretty advanced. Off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so you, yeah, I mean, he just has a real gift for just being able to do that with no effort. Yeah, I, I think this song is probably others' most favorite on the album, just because it it's so, it's it's basic, but at the same time, it's it's he's he's figured out how to harmonize with himself at one o'clock in the morning, and then <laughs> the obligatory breakdown and funny noises. That's <laughs> that part's actually pretty cool. That's a, that's a really funny part. Yeah. I love that. that. So it really surprises me to hear that you think that this one's kind of popular amongst people. I never would have guessed that. Yeah, because um, I think the Thump, which is the Funny Music Project, they host a annual Logan Award for um, comedy music, and they did a um, a medley of all of Logan's songs. And I think this was the only one that appeared from Outsmarting the Popos. Ah, okay, interesting. So it's very much got Logan written all over it. Yeah, and then um, in the next track, we go over to a, a very more experimental track called "Hang Up and Die Again." Thank you. 
<laughs> Maybe not the best song, but kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, according to Logan, this was the first his first four track recording. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> aside from stuff he did when he was like 13, which I think, um, like, We Want to Rule the World, which appears on I Would Be a Biggest Octopus, was one of those recordings. And he says it's pretty innovative, if not good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically just Logan over a drum machine playing his concertina, then um, asking a uh, an operator on the phone for help because he can't connect to 911. <laughs> help me, please. I think it. Um, one thing about it that's kind of interesting is I think you'll hear through the albums he has kind of an obsession with telephones, and yeah. this is kind of the first one of those that comes up. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. He has a very interesting obsession with telephones <laughs> and and putting their their sounds and and their themes into music. Yeah. And um, at the very end of the song is just a high pitched song in reverse, and I actually took the time to put it in Audacity, reverse it, slow it down, and the song is "God of Thunder" by Kiss. Ah. <laughs> so for anyone who wanted to know. <laughs> It's a kiss song at the very end of that song. Okay, well, we can talk about that more when we come to one of the later tracks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next track is Sunday Paper, which I feel on, on this album is probably the most, I guess, foretelling of Logan's future music styles. I'm gonna kill my neighbor Cause he stole my Sunday paper Gonna kill my neighbor Cause he stole my Sunday paper The same thing happens every week I get so mad I can hardly speak I want my daily horoscope I'm gonna kill my neighbor And then I'm gonna burn his house down to the ground It's funny, I don't know So one thing that you gotta figure he's influenced by Is sort of... um, Radio dramas or radio com- uh, comedies? I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, like like those kind of old radio serials we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing I can think of that I can name check that's kind of in this category that I, I think he was influenced by is Monty Python. I guess it's not a yeah. radio thing, but somehow the kind of storytelling and maybe not so much in this song. That This one's a little more linear. It's just like an actual story, but I don't know where he got that radio kind of thing from. Yeah, no, that that is very interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but it's funny how he said this is the first song he wrote with a real piano, and yet instantly it sounds like that's something I noticed when I was listening back to his discography. As soon as he plays a piano, you know, you know it's Logan. It's it's, it's interesting. He's got a different sound on the piano. Um, very show tuney, very old like I'd say pre Broadway kind of stuff. Like just you know, I don't know what to call that kind of. Mu- I don't know what to call that kind of music either, but. Um, maybe it's. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it's it's coming from the same thread as like um, that Paul McCartney pulls from a lot, like when I'm 64 or something like that. Yeah. Or. Yeah, exactly. Honey yeah, pie or things. these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very it's very consistent. It, that's that's what caught me off guard. Every time he played the piano, you knew, you kind of had an idea of where he was going because it it follows that same kind of pattern. Which isn't bad at all. It's actually, it's quite um, nice. It's quite a trademark. Yeah. On this one, I wonder if he kind of cheated a little bit, and which is uh, totally ideal to cheat. But uh, it kind of sounds like maybe the two hands might have been played separately or something. Yeah, he, he likes overdubbing yeah. on the piano. But as he goes on, I think he does that less and less. Yeah, I mean, one thing that kind of struck me about him getting better on instruments is I just don't remember ever him ever practicing. <laughs> like so like on guitar I sit down I'm like oh I'm going to practice my you know my minor pentatonic scales and different keys I'm going to practice switching chords like he never did any of that he just <laughs> he just played and so it's weird how you can see him actually getting better without kind of ever trying yeah just 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 playing and getting better yeah yeah no but no definitely for a first song you write on a real piano Sunday paper is pretty uh pretty good <laughs> i like it it's, it's one of my favorites on the album yeah i mean it's a tightly constructed song and has a good story and everything yeah 
Now, up next is probably the most um, recurring of all of Logan's themes. Farkle! Yes, friends, if there's one thing that everyone can agree on, it's Farkle. And if there are two things that everyone can agree on, they're both Farkle. No more tightening rusty bolts by hand. No more annoying wires. Say goodbye to costly bleaches and tooth whiteners. Farkle! Facial blemishes can be a thing of the past. Warts, out of here! No more spraining your back to put on that extra coat of wax. Just say, I love my Farkle, and win an extra large t-shirt. With Farkle, you're covered for those additional damages. Kids love it, dogs can't tell the difference, and just look at that tomato. I don't know, to me this is just by far the best one on the album. <laughs> I, I met, um... Maybe for you, like it gets sort of absorbed in the other Farkles, but for me, this was the first thing he ever did that I thought, okay, that's really amazing. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, just to construct that collage of all those sounds is really amazing. And it's so bizarre and out of the blue and has so many, and it keeps changing to something completely different. <laughs> it does. Uh, I, but it, the best part is that it, like this first Farkle, it's exactly the same throughout. I mean, it, he figured it out, and he I don't think he, he does like a little bit of changes, but even the background keyboard music stays the same with every Farkle. Um, he figured out John John the Leprechaun on this one. The whole, he figured out the whole formula just with this one, and he kept going with it. I love it. Yeah, the... Um Two kind of interesting things about this that come to mind is one, I think this might be, it's possibly the first song that I'm pretty sure he used the computer on as well. So oh, nice. he started getting into this. It's kind of primitive what you could do, but I think the app is called Sound Edit Pro. So he had a Mac and it's not like you could sit there and record a whole song in it, it but you could bring in things and reverse them or speed them up. And I think a lot of these manipulations of the sound were kind of done in the computer and then recorded onto the four track. Yeah, so kind of like a primitive audacity. Basically, yeah, yeah. Then the other thing is just that the a part that was really funny to me was the Abraham Lincoln part. Because <laughs> yeah. this was kind of an inside joke that we had, and I don't totally remember what the joke was. But it was something like we were standing in the kitchen, and I was talking about how to be famous, you need to have like a catchphrase. And I was like, like Abraham Lincoln, he has four scores and seven years ago, you need one of those, Logan. <laughs> and so we then, we always started like making up different people's catchphrases like, based on that one. <laughs> and then he put that in the in the song. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I think the other interesting thing about uh, Farkle was um, apparently... Uh, uh, his friend Dominic Davy said that it was his uh, dad's word for silent but deadly farts and that Logan took it and made it into something completely different. Pretty sure that that is correct. Yeah, that's about the story I heard it too. And I think they would joke around about Farkle a lot before he made the song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In general, we kind of used to have a lot of uh, jokes that were words that sounded kind of offensive but weren't offensive. Like yeah. like one you might we used to say like squim, <laughs> so you'll probably see it like probably if you uh, now that I said that you'll probably notice squim somewhere in one of his albums or a little tin frog thing. <laughs> I'll keep an ear yeah. out. That's funny. Up next is the introduction of one Mister Sid Sheinberg in his Tuesday night review. All right, now I'd like to do another song for you. This is one that came up back in 48. Uh, I wrote it with my cousin Bernie, and uh, I go something like this. Three, four. You say you don't really love me. Yeah, you know what's going on in this one, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's basically just, um, this is kind of the friends and family thing that I was saying before. It's really just a song for the people in... The local band scene that we were in in which he's just kind of making a like a bar piano ballad out of all of these different local band songs that's awesome um i don't think i i didn't realize that at all at first so i was really really confused when i heard this track and then um somehow or another i found out about nirvana 2 the sequel and they have um their entire album up for download on the internet 
And one of the tracks is Christopher Walken is a badass. And I was like, wait a minute. I've heard that before. <laughs> and so from there, I kind of pieced it together. I was like, oh, yeah, double helix. So okay, so I get what's happening here. Yeah, that that... The other bands who are in it are ones that were kind of more in our circle than Nirvana Nirvana 2. Nirvana 2 was like, Logan was the only one who liked that band. (laughs) I mean, actually, I wouldn't have even noticed them, but after he pointed out that they were cool, I was like, oh yeah, they are kind of cool. But they weren't kind of a band that really played around in our circle or anything. Uh, It was just two dudes making weird recordings. (laughs) <laughs> Sounding a little actually like this album From what I've heard It, it sounds very experimental Very kind of just fooling around with drum machines and stuff That's what reminded me of Yeah, I just remember that we had um, When we had the Pain and Pleasure Machine CD release show In a cafe in Santa Rosa We had Nirvana 2 open for us Because Logan liked them And the, the, the owner of the cafe was like What is this band that you brought into my place? <laughs> <laughs> she was like we like your band but i don't know about this opening band <laughs> <laughs> i can definitely see why <laughs> uh, but um this also introduces mr sid Scheinberg, which i believe appears on two other of uh, logan's songs and i like sid sid's a funny guy um i feel like logan could have done a lot more with sid but uh, with what he did he did pretty funny yeah, I have no idea where he got this from. Or yeah, so that's interesting. He has these characters right from the beginning without even really trying. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I have a feeling this is kind of like um, Logan's Tony Clifton, where I don't think he'll ever admit he's Sid Sheinberg, because like in the note he said, uh, "Sid Sheinberg went on to greater fame and fortune than he could possibly have imagined." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. All right, and um, on to the next track, Rudolf Nurehev. I wish that everything would just work out the way it was supposed to and everything was perfect and no one had ever heard of the Macarena. He's my boyfriend, but he's stupid. everybody was perfect, they wouldn't have to repeat themselves. No, they wouldn't have to repeat themselves to anybody. Pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's a nice little um, ditty, and then it kind of goes off in the middle, and then it comes back, and it's kind of all over the place. Um, for those of you who do not know, Rudolf Nureyev was a male ballet dancer from the USSR during the uh, 20th century, and he's considered one of the greatest male ballet dancers of his time. So, <laughs> how about that? Yeah. This one, what one thing I was thinking is. Um, I'm not sure how many of the ones before that we listened to really had the drum machine in it, but one thing that might might not be obvious, it was actually hard to have a drum machine at the time. <laughs> like now, now I'm sure there's probably like websites that have drum machines in them for free, or some, you know. Yeah. But like even just getting something that you could make a beat on was kind of not that easy. And somehow at this time, he had this little crappy uh, Alesis drum machine that he would program these yeah. things on. Nice. Um, yeah, this song is definitely. Um, I like it a lot because it's this whole album. Actually, I think is it's it's Logan working within the confines of his four track, and it's him trying to see how far he can go with just four tracks, seeing like what what all can he fit in here with this limitations. And I think this song's a prime example of what he does because there's like some breakdowns where he there's a rocking part in the middle of it. <laughs> like listen up yo it's the rocking part yeah i like this one because it's not you every time i listen to it i kind of hear new things in it yeah exactly it's one of those kind of songs yeah, yeah. and that's odd for a four track song when you hear something new every time that's that's interesting yeah so yeah i think this is definitely a underrated track on this album he's my boyfriend all right oh. Now we're going to go up to uh, the uh, the big one here. You ready, Owen? I'm ready to rock. Ready to rock? Tough titty. Woo! Tough titty. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much not good at all, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the backstory on this, and I think maybe the previous Kiss reference, was... Um, so, like, Logan and I are not Kiss fans pretty much at all. Um, <laughs> but um, around this time, we got convinced by this dude, uh, Glenn Rubenstein who was uh, in a band called Headboard, and he booked, he was like the booker at the Phoenix Theater. He would organize shows. Um, yeah. kind of like, I think he sort of fancied himself like a music Svengali businessman type. And so he would somehow like talk us into doing things. He was really good at talking us into doing things. And right. uh, <laughs> they had their, they would do the Rocky Horror Picture Show occasionally yeah. on, like let's say a Saturday at the Phoenix Theater. And, um, so Glenn would try to have bands open for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think partly thinking that you'd get people to see the bands. It's hard yeah. to get people into local bands, right? Um, yeah. So he thought maybe a lot of people would come to Rocky Horror Picture Show, so he'd have the band play first. And um, this one time, he somehow talked us into being in a Kiss cover band, like Logan and I. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, it was like it made no sense. Because like we just don't even know their songs, and we didn't, we barely practiced at all. I think we didn't. I think like even right up until the minute we went up there, we were like, yeah, we don't want to do it. But somehow we kind of practiced. <laughs> that practicing was like really half-assed. It was either the day before or the night of or something, and um, we threw together these kiss costumes like we were wearing black jeans and maybe like a wig, and somebody painted our faces or something. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was Ace Freely, and uh, and Logan was whatever the drummer's name is. Um, and uh, there was a one part where, so like one of the things it says in the song is "spit that out, Walla Glenn." This because like Glenn, Glenn was being the lead singer, and yeah. and to simulate like spitting blood, he had like a uh, you know like a red juice, and he and he spit that out of his mouth at one part. Um, <laughs> and then actually. One of the coolest things ever happened. This is like, this is a great memory. Um, All right. I forget what the, the, so Kiss's biggest hit is the song that the drummer sings. And it's up. Is that a want to rock and roll? Nah, it's not that one. Maybe it's not their biggest hit, but it's one of them. Oh, Beth. That's it. Yeah. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home. So it's like, it's the song that drummer sings. So they wanted Logan to sing it. So I think what I think what we what he did is he was maybe playing concertina and singing it, and I was playing guitar, and everyone else in the band stopped. So it'd be like a rock ballad. And oh, I forgot to mention the audience hated this band. Like it was I bet. like it, it was not going well at all. Because of course that, it wasn't a good. No, idea. it wasn't a good idea. It sounded. It might have been a good idea, but it sounded terrible. Like we just could we could barely play the songs. It was like falling apart. And you know you couldn't you couldn't hear the singing, and um, the sound in the Phoenix is not great, and especially at that time. And so then it, uh, but then when it got to be just guitar and Logan singing, it sounded kind of good because it was you know quieter and got rid of all the extra noises. And then the people got the crowd got really excited, and somehow they wanted like they wound up like picking Logan up and carrying him <laughs> around the theater. While he was playing concertina, and <laughs> and this is when they were shouting polka, 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 and so I think all that yeah. like basically the song is just all references to that. Oh my god, I, I want I want to hear that. I want to <laughs> Logan covering Beth on a concertina. Yeah, I'm sure there's no that's, recording of it. Oh my god, that's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Oh my god, that's that's even better than I thought it would be. Thank you so much <laughs> for telling me that. Um. I don't have many notes on this thing. Um, the, it's a parody of Kiss style with weird polka breakdowns, which I guess that explains it. Yeah. And um, I guess my, fav- my favorite lyric is near the end, you guys are chanting, I love Kiss. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that, that this was one of the songs I ma- like completely made with Logan so I could see how he was doing it. Although I think we just yeah. really weren't trying at all on this. <laughs> this was like no thought whatsoever just sitting down there and just doing it all in you know an hour or two hours or something uh <laughs> like you're making up the lyrics as you record them yeah this whole thing a uh, pretty good though pretty good um yeah i think you got kissed down to a notch there. yeah there's, there's a few, few good jokes in there 
Yeah. All right. Next track is the standard metric system. It's a pretty fine track. I have Waffle of Death on my list. You have Waffle of Death. On the web, it has Waffle. Oh, you are right. You are absolutely right there. I'm going to cut out this mistake. We can't have this. We can't, we can't have, not, this we can't have mistakes on, on, in this, uh, this. We can't let people know yeah. that, that I'm, I'm a human. <laughs> All right. Next track <laughs> is The Waffle of Death. I don't know, man. I think this one's a classic. It is, indeed. In fact, I think Logan said it was his favorite track on, on this album. Yeah, he but uh, he loved it, and he would play... Definitely, like, I think he played this every time he played live. Yeah. No, he definitely... He remade it on um, How Does an Electrostatic Motor Work, and I feel like that version's much more polished. And, um, I mean, from listening to this one, it sounds like a funny track, but I definitely wouldn't have heard the um, remade version. I love that version. Um... Any, any story to how he came up with Waffle of Death? It doesn't make any sense to me either. I, I have no <laughs> idea. And imagine, imagine, so like I live with this guy and I'm like downstairs, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm going to like a regular full-time job, you know, commuting down, going to work, coming home at yeah. the end of the day. He's like an art student and, <laughs> and uh, seems to have all this free time and, um, just every randomly like every week or a few days or something he'd be like oh Owen I got a new song for you and it just <laughs> seemed like they were all over the place and then this one just seems like it's just completely out of nowhere and I <laughs> I like the ones that he makes where it's not kind of like there's a joke that you get and then once you get it then you're kind of like okay I got the joke yeah this one just doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> And I think that that's a kind of the uh, kind of a recurring thing with him. I, that's why he's he's considered comedy music, but I feel like that in of itself is kind of um, restricting in some areas. Because, like you said, not much most of comedy music I feel is like there's a joke to it. And once you get it, it's kind of like repeating the same joke over and over again. But with Logan, it's just a weird set of like surreal scenarios, and I, I love that about it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right, next up is the standard metric system. So anyway, like I was saying, I mean, <clears throat> it was, oh. Yeah. The standard metric system, a song by Logan Whitehurst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The standard metric system measures distances and weights For mass and volume, length and height, it's used to calculate Compared to standard U.S. measures, one can plainly see The metric system's blunt efficiency Yard versus meter, quart versus liter The pound squares off against the kilogram, you see a decimal equation defines the U.S. nation As fools afraid to change their terminology The world has the kilometer and we have got our mile The time has come to face the facts and face them with a smile So if those foreign weirdos try to ask us to conform We'll blow their stupid countries all to hell What do you think, Connor? Pretty good song. <laughs> it's a pretty. I like it. It's a, a tightly constructed little ditty. Yeah, it's it's going back to what I was saying about the show tuny kind of structure. It's definitely it fits that, and it's funny. It's just the whole rant on how America doesn't adapt to the standard metric system, 
Like, here, here's, here's his notes on it. I mean, seriously, why aren't we on it? We have kilometers on our speedometers. Why not our street signs? Oh, the humanity. Oh, the frustration when driving and building things in other countries. <laughs> yeah, and then, but then he kind of makes fun of the, the, that position as well, which is kind of typical yes. of him. To just kind of <laughs> not ever be too serious. Yes, exactly. And it's just, it's a, it's a funny little ditty. I like it. Uh, definitely one, one of the highlights on this album. So I feel like the, this reminds me of two, definitely one influence and maybe another one. I think this is clearly coming out of the thread of um, like They Might Be Giants, songs like um, Why Does the Sun Shine? And, is, that, is that the yeah. title? How Does the Sun Shine? Um, yeah, why, I, I think it's like Why Does the Sun Shine in, in uh, parentheses, It's a Ball of Gas or something like that. Yeah, these, it's got a very long Title. These kind of educational, yeah, songs. So it's got that that thread in it. Um, and the other one I'm less sure about, but I definitely remember that he was really into um, cartoon music, like Looney Tunes and things like that. Like he would listen to this stuff just the music. By Logan Whitehurst. And I feel like there's some some of that in there. Oh, yeah, I can kind of see that. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a fine little little ditty. I think he did it proper justice the first time around. So, yeah, standard metric system. All right, this next one is <laughs> a little little more disjointed. It's called a uh, vibrating leprechaun. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> any, uh, any backstory on this one? All I know is that he and um, this was done with our roommate, Joe Ferraro. And so what, out of right. one speaker is Joe talking, out of the other speaker is Logan talking. Okay. And I don't know, it just sounds like Logan like made up the music and then they just thought, hey, let's talk over it. But I don't really know why it's called that or what's going on. I've never ever, I've listened to it, but I've never successfully made it through the whole song and actually paid attention. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> it, it is very, very much um, the one of the more experimental tracks on this album. Um, it reminded me kind of like a, like the gift by Velvet Underground, you know, there's like music in one speaker and speaking through the other one, except it's the music's in the center and then there's two vocals on each side here. Yeah. Um, that's just the first thing that came to mind here. Um, very, very loose. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about this one. At the same time, <laughs> kind of showing some progress in recording, I think, to be able to do these more jazzy sounds. and. Well, yeah. So, yeah. I like, like the jazzy side of Logan. <laughs> Alright, now we got some avocado madness coming our way. One thing I've noticed listening to it this time is a lot of the songs start with drums. It's yeah, kind of like right. it's kind of like I'm a drummer and I'm just sort of learning how to arrange. So, but they're all drum machines usually, which is the funny part. Yeah. So, but um, uh, any any uh, any anecdotes about this one? No, I don't actually really remember this one that well. <laughs> I think it's experimental. 
not really something I would listen to that very often, but I'm, it does have a lot of interesting sounds in it. So you can hear him kind of experimenting more with different effects and things. And those are kind of cool. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. This one, this one reminds me the most of like Ween and like the pod or pure guava. Ah. Something off one of those. Cause they're, they, they depend a lot on those kind of drum machines and those effects, those kind of pedals and stuff. Oh yeah. So I feel like this one is, I, I guess the most low fi ish of of all these so that's why i that's why i find i like in it it's also just like ween it's coming from a really weird place uh yeah exactly whatever it's (laughs) logan's mind yeah (laughs) by the way i don't even know i don't i don't really remember logan ever listening to ween or talking i don't even know if he knew them maybe he did but it wouldn't surprise me this uh, but i think this whole thing just it sounds like ween because he's he was in the same mindset as they were, just kind of having fun making these songs, kind of thing. Yeah, and maybe of a of the time when with the equipment that they had and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Next is uh, when you give Owen a guitar. What happens when you give Owen a guitar? Let's find amazing out. things happen. <laughs> a whole lot of shredding. <laughs> On his bedroom floor at 1.15 in the morning. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> and at the end, he finds a, a creature and then kills it. That's a, that's a <laughs> Yeah, he's always like somehow making there be a story in it. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Was this one recorded like right after um, This Is What Happens? Because like he says it's like 1.15 in the morning and he gave you four chords. This is like... I, I can hear it like he records the four track harmonies like at one in the morning and it's one fifteen and he's like, hey, Owen, here's some chords, play this. No, definitely not. Uh, it was in the same time period, but not like literally right afterwards, like maybe a week later or two weeks later or something. And we were all kind of just sitting around in the living room. I don't remember who else was. Yeah. It might have just been me and him and just kind of, I don't know, maybe playing guitar and like goofing around. And yeah. um I don't know. Maybe I was playing those chords or something. And then he was like, oh, we got to record that. Uh, I definitely remember that. I had no intent of, I wasn't trying to do a recording or anything, but all of a sudden he was like, oh, we got to record that. And I like, got out the four track <laughs> and he pretty much told me what to do. He's like, oh, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And then I remember I couldn't, it, it might've just been at the very end. I remember he was doing things like stopping, like I'm sitting there trying to play it. And he's like putting his hands on it and things. Or, or like blocking it <laughs> to make it make weird sounds. It. I was like, ah, okay, that's what you want. So this is very much this is very much like I didn't know what he was doing, but yeah. he got this idea and just made it really quick. That's really funny, and I, th- I think that I think it appealed to him because it's the same four chords as this is what happens. Yeah, maybe so I think it, it, it is a funny companion piece to that one. Yeah, but again, this is that thing I was talking about before, where he's got like my name in it and stuff like that. It, it's yeah. kind of very much and, and you know like the thing that he would get really excited about was we'd be oh i got a new song let's let, <laughs> let's go out to my my car and listen to it things like that so it's like all about like making a song in order to play it for your friend yeah and i i feel like that that's definitely the case with this one it sounds like he was just trying to make it for friends and family and then somehow it ended up in the hands of other people all of a sudden totally so he didn't he didn't even think of like making things and what other people was like okay what would sound good here he was thinking more like okay what would be funny for owen to hear here exactly exactly so he's more like he was trying to get a laugh from you more than he was trying to impress you that's pretty much what i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah all right and then um we're at the final track here uh, a brief reprise or reprise <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 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 
and then it just drops you. To me, it seems like um, I have no idea, but it seems like it's a um, you know a musical would start with an overture where they have little bits of all the songs that are going to come. Yeah, this is like an end thing that sounds like kind of a sound collage of different pieces from the songs in the album along the way. Some of them turned backwards and who knows what else. Yeah. I definitely, it's, it sounds to me like a bunch of outtakes from vibrating leprechaun and he kind of reversed them, sped them up, slowed them down kind of thing. And then, <laughs> and then someone says a vibration and then it just stops. <laughs> like what? Is that it? And yeah, that's it. Especially since the uh, MP3 of this thing has like 30 seconds left on it. So I'm waiting like, is there, there's got to be something else. It's, it's uh, something else. And then, <laughs> nope, <laughs> it just ends. Yeah, it's a fitting end for an album that is mostly kind of sonic experimentation. and Yes, very much so. I, I think this is the most experimental, The uh, a, big, a big bang. It ends with a big bang. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So uh, that was Outsmartin' the Popos. So I guess overall, it's not an it's not an album that I would put on very often. But yeah, when yeah. I when I listen to it, it's 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 super interesting. As you could see, all the seeds of the things that Logan did later. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean it's kind of all in there. All the different elements that come later, from the like science song to the. Uh, sort of really catchy show tunes to the different characters to the kind of like Farkle that's sort of like a weird radio drama <laughs> commercial. Uh, yeah, no, all, all, everything that's Logan is on this album. He's just trying to figure it out and it, it becomes stronger in time. And I, I think that's cool how he figures it all out on this one. And you can kind of see his progression as the albums keep going, as he keeps making more and more of them. He finds out what works, what doesn't. And um, by the end, he, he kind of, I think he kind of figured it all out. Yeah, and I think there's something, uh, I think a lot about kind of um, lessons on creativity from him, just kind of observing how he was creative. Yeah. And it seems like there's something about just not trying very hard. Just, yeah. <laughs> just kind of make stuff and, all right, so maybe this one, maybe this one won't be that good. But you'll, over the long haul, you'll kind of, there'll be things about it that are good that you'll just, you'll, you'll, you'll get better by doing. Whereas I yeah. think a lot of people, they're sort of like, Oh, I can't make anything until I have pro tools and yeah. I've <laughs> learned how to play all the instruments and, you know, and kind of, yeah, as soon as I get to that point, then I'll start making stuff. Whereas yeah. he just did it with whatever he had. Exactly. A very, um, it's kind of scientific in that way in that he, he just, he just did it. And then figured out what worked, what didn't, and then the next time around, he uh, he learned. Yeah, keep the stuff that works, ditch the stuff yeah. that didn't work. And from there, he figured it all out. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So this has been uh, Talk on the Microphone with Connor Nyberg and Owen Otto. Thank you a lot. This was really awesome. Well, thanks a lot. If you, uh, if you listened all the way to this point and you liked it, let us know. So we'll yeah, feel please. inspired to keep going through the discography. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Rock, rock on.